Great or younger, there is a special service downstairs. You're welcome to go. I invite the rest of you to turn with me in your Bibles this morning to Luke chapter 7. And we're going to be uh, taking another look at verses 18 to 35. You know, uh, last time uh, we looked at some of the expectations and experiences that cause doubt to come into our lives. Often times the reason that we encounter doubts in our faith or disappointment with God is because we have uh, built an image in our mind of God that is inaccurate. We have expectations based on false assumptions and God is not the person that we sometimes think he is. Uh, you know, we know a lot about him, but you really have to be uh, one who walks with him closely and is a student of his word to understand the revelation of his character in all of its fullness. Sometimes we fall short of that. <clears throat> so this morning I want to take a second view of doubt and look at ways to deal with doubt. How do we manage doubts when they come? What did Jesus do to handle John's doubts? And then um, I want us to look at the broad strokes of John's life because the measure of a person is not defined by their exceptional moments, their times of weakness. The measure of a person is defined by the overall tenor of a life and how that life is lived. So we'll be looking at uh, what Jesus has to say in general about John the Baptist. Uh, let's read the passage again for the sake of stimulating our memory about this occasion. Verse 18, the disciples of John reported to him about all these things, summoning two of his disciples. John sent them to the Lord saying, are you the expected one or do we look for someone else? When the men came to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you to ask, Are you the expected one, or do we look for someone else? At that very time, or literally in that very hour, Jesus cured many people of diseases and afflictions and evil spirits. And he gave sight to many who were blind, and he answered and said to them, Go and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have the gospel preached to them. Blessed is he who does not take offense at me. When the messengers of John had left, he began to speak to the crowds about John. What did you go into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? But what did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? <laughs> I tell you, those who are splendidly clothed and live in luxury are found in royal palaces. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I say to you, and one who is more than a prophet, this is the one about whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. I say to you, among those born of women, there is no one greater than John. Yet 
He that is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. When all the people and the tax collectors heard this, they acknowledged God's justice, having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected God's purpose for themselves, not having been baptized by John. To what then shall I compare the men of this generation, and what are they like? They're like children who sit in the marketplace and call out to one another, and they say, We played the flute for you, and you didn't dance. We sang a dirge, and you didn't weep. For John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine, and you say, He has a demon. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, Behold, a gluttonous man and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is vindicated by all of her children. The occasion is John the Baptist doubting Jesus Christ. He was riding the crest of the wave of revival, an anointed prophet with a passionate message as he proclaimed the coming of the kingdom and the coming of the Messiah and the promised one. All of Israel uh, was going out to meet him at the Jordan and many of them came under conviction of their sins and were baptized for the repentance of their sins anxiously waiting for the arrival of the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, the promised one that they were anticipating, the Messiah that would deliver them. Now John is in prison, and he's occupying a dark, damp cell. He's eating only what his friends will bring him, because they didn't feed you in prison in those days. They didn't care if you starved to death. And he's out of the mainstream and away from the public eye, and he's not seeing the things that are going on. His friends and disciples are visiting him, reporting that they hear this and that and the other about Jesus. And John is wondering, where is this Messiah that's supposed to deliver us? Where is this one who is going to bring a judgment of righteousness and, and overthrow the wicked and establish the kingdom. Where is this guy? He's not fitting my expectations. And so they send, he sends a delegation to Jesus and asks the question, are you the one? I want us to see this morning how Jesus responded to John's doubt. And rather than giving him a direct answer, like, well, of course I'm the one. What's wrong with you, John? He goes much deeper than that. He says to, to these two disciples that have come, <clears throat> excuse me, I'll, I'll get to your question in just a moment. Could you just hang out here for a little bit? Um, and he goes on healing the sick and casting out demons. But what do we say to John? Uh, just a minute. I'll get to you in a minute. Just hang on. Making the lame to walk, giving sight to the blind, 
freeing those who had been in bondage all their lives. And then Jesus says, Go say this to John. The lame walk. The blind see. Demons are cast out. People are healed of their diseases. Go tell John what you've seen. You know, there's a time in our lives when we hit these low spots that platitudes and quoting Scripture and saying just the right slogan doesn't cut it. Even a direct answer of the facts, well, of course I'm the Messiah, doesn't meet us at the deepest level of our doubt. What Jesus did was to say to them, go tell him what you've seen, knowing that as they reported their observations, the scriptures would come to mind. The very ones that John undoubtedly knew inside and out. John had memorized those passages from Isaiah and Malachi. They pertained to him. He was the forerunner. He was the messenger sent by God before uh, the coming of the Messiah. <clears throat> and he knew all about ushering in the reign of righteousness and bringing the kingdom of God. Perhaps he had forgotten in the middle of those verses the part about healing the sick, restoring the lame, giving sight to the blind, having a ministry of compassion and love and grace and mercy. John had made the mistake of only seeing half of Jesus, and largely a half that is still to come. Jesus said to Nicodemus, I didn't come to judge the world, not this time, but that all the world should come to repentance. I came to bring a message of repentance and, and of good news and salvation. I, I didn't come this time to judge. I will come back. He didn't say that to Nicodemus, but that's the reality. But John had somehow forgotten this other part of the ministry of Christ. And Jesus knew that if John were to bring these scriptures to mind, to hear this testimony, that the Holy Spirit could begin to drill into his heart and connect him with the evidence. Friends, sometimes we need simply to be pointed to the evidence. We need to be pointed to the history. Jesus told the Israelites when they crossed the Jordan, take some rocks out, one for every tribe. Take these rocks out and build them up on the other side, the Canaan side of the bank. And every time you pass by this pile of rocks and your kids say to you, why is that pile of rocks there? You say to them, this is where God led us across this Jordan. This is his faithfulness to us. 
God has met us. When we are at low places in our lives, when we have kind of hit the wall, and, and everyone does at some time or another, and, and we're kind of sitting back and, and we're wondering, where is God when I'm hurting? I'm really hurting. Where's my deliverance? John's sitting in prison. He's languishing. He, Jesus has not let him out. He hasn't shown up to deliver him. Where is he? He's not acting the way I thought he would act. We need to ha have a deep connection with God by the Holy Spirit through his word. We need God to speak to our soul and to remind us of his history and his nature and his character. You've heard me say many times, and I say it again just in case you forget, when the person lands in the emergency room, they don't need to have Romans 8.28 quoted to them. God works all things together for good to those who love the Lord. It's true, he does. But when you're in the midst of a crisis, you need something much deeper than just quoting a verse at you. You need something much deeper than everything will get better in due time. Well, okay, but that doesn't help me in this time. I don't see due time. I see this time. I, I need God to somehow touch me now. The scripture says the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit. And the natural man is when we largely try to come in through the intellectual process and approach things on a factual basis. I'm not saying the facts are not there and they're not true, but what I'm saying is our walk with God is not the embracing of a philosophy. It's a relationship with a person. And we need to be connected and touched by God himself. Oftentimes, when I sit with people, I'm just in my mind saying, Lord, what do you want to do here? What do you want to say? How do you want to connect? Touch their heart. Speak to them in the inside. I can't get there. But bring up what they need to hear or know in this moment. Comfort them with the comfort that only you can bring. I shared with you Easter Sunday a couple of weeks ago that when I was in the hospital between the triumphant in entry and the resurrection uh, Sunday, that week, you know, Holy Week, I'm there. And I'm kind of waiting on God. And I need a word from Him. And... Marilyn sends me an email and just says, I was praying for you this morning. I was having my devotion and I happened to read this passage and I just wanted to share it. And she shared that passage, um, you know, where, where God says, I know the plans that I have for you, plans for hope, plans for future. You know, I, and that was good. But 
What actually happened to me, I think, is what Jesus intended to happen with John the Baptist when he sent back, uh, tell John what you've seen. And John kind of looked at the scripture in his mind. He recalled it to mind. Okay, this is what Messiah will do. And he began to look at what else has he got to do. (laughs) He begins to think about it. And so I read the verse, and then I started reading the verses around it, and I kind of expanded my reading. And I read in the context of that passage where God says, referring to Abraham, my friend Abraham. I don't even think I can convey to you the depth that that simple phrase had in my life. It spoke to me volumes of God's love, his tenderness toward people, and, and, and people like Abraham, my friend Abraham. What kind of God is it that calls lowly, created humans my friend. And what does it take to be God's friend? What kind of person does God confide in, walk with, share his heart with? What is that person like? I want to be like that. God just really touched me. And all, you know, have you ever noticed when God speaks to you that he doesn't speak in paragraphs? He usually just has a word or two or three. He usually, because somehow buried in that are volumes that you just get in the Spirit. And they don't go through here, they, they come out of here. And in those three words, my friend Abraham... All the love that God had for me. All the yearning he had to want me in his fellowship. The desire he has to walk with me. The love that motivated him to save me. Came to me. You can't think that up. You would never say that. Oh, I have a verse for you, by the way. It's talking about Jacob and Abraham, and I know this will bring you great comfort. You can't think that stuff up. But God, the Holy Spirit, as you're drawn into the Word, God speaks to you. And Jesus sends a message to John the Baptist saying, I'm not going to answer your question directly. I just want you to hear what your disciples have observed, and I want you to think about it. And the Holy Spirit brings the comfort and the healing of the wounds. Friends, sometimes the best thing that we can do for people when they're hurting is just to be with them, just to love them. Just to pray in our spirit for them. 
and to wait for God to show up and connect with them. Because we hit those low moments. Every one of us will have times in our lives when questions come. And God is so gracious to answer those. You know, if you thought about, I was thinking about Elijah. Elijah, uh, he's this great prophet, right, you know. And there's this contest with the, the Baals and, and the prophets of Baal. And uh, God tells him to go get them all together and, and, and prepare an, an altar and put a sacrifice on it. And uh, nobody can bring a match. We're going we're gonna to call down fire from heaven and see whose God answers. And all day long, the prophets of Baal, you know, they're, they're doing their incantations, they're quoting their, their uh, special sayings, and they're cutting themselves, and they're dancing, and they're writhing, and they're, nothing is happening. And Elijah's just sitting off to the side making fun of them. I mean, there, there's no mercy in this guy. He's just ridiculing them. And then finally it's his turn, and he says, wait, wait, wait. Just so there's no mistake here, I want you to dig a trough around this thing and fill it up with water. Soak the wood, soak the sacrifice, fill the place with water, build a moat. I don't want there to be any question. And then he just simply looks up toward the heaven and calls on God and, you know, and says, send the fire and accept the sacrifice and this bolt of lightning ball of fire comes out of heaven the whole thing disappears every drop of water dry ground it's all gone i mean powerful and then elijah picks up the sword and he slays 400 prophets of baal that's no minor feat and then in the midst of all that i mean here's this guy tough and 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 powerful and anointed and at the at the you know the peak of his career as it were, and Jezebel sends this word and says, huh, "Elijah, you have no idea. You just wait and see if I don't do to you by this time tomorrow what you've done to these guys." And where is Elijah? I don't know, I've never had a day like that, okay? I've never had fire come out of heaven, consume the sacrifice. I mean, I've just never, that has never happened to me. But I've had some tough days. I've had days that were spiritual powerhouse days, and when I'm done, I'm done. I'm exhausted, I'm drained. Um, I think everybody ought to preach a couple of sermons in their life just to understand the spiritual warfare that goes on with that. And, and the way that that drains the spirit, as it were, you know. And I know kind of what he feels like. Not the, to the degree, but I've got, kind of got an idea. I mean, you're just spent. You're wasted. And then uh, Jezebel makes this threat, and Elijah runs for his life. He runs, and he runs, and he runs, and he runs, and wow. Finally, he sits down, and God shows up. And God says, Elijah, you stupid fool, what's wrong with you? Get yourself back there and look Jezebel in the eye. 
What kind of a coward are you running like that? You're my prophet. Oh, no. You know your Bibles. That's not what God said. Elijah sits down. God gives him something to eat. Gives him something to drink. Speaks softly to him. Nurtures him. Loves on him. Takes care of him. That's how God comes to us. When we're low and in trouble, if we will allow God, he will come to us in that way and bring refreshment and restoration and renew faith. Well, John's disciples head out. They go back to tell John what they've seen. And Jesus turns to the crowd that are around him and says, and this crowd, followers of Jesus, disciples, tax gatherers, sinners, people that are hungry for him, people that are angry with him, Pharisees, lawyers, it's, it's a crowd of people. He turns to them and he says, I got a question for you. What did you go out in the wilderness to see? Did you go to see a reed shaken by the wind? Some skinny, scrawny, sniveling little weakling that the wind could rattle? No, I don't think so. Did you go out there to see this highfalutin, high-powered, immaculately dressed, uh, you know, idol of society? (laughs) No, I don't think you went to see that either. You went to see a prophet. I know what you went to see. You went to see a prophet. And I want to tell you something. He is a prophet. He is anointed. He is powerful. His message called all of Israel to repentance. He was the man that was willing to look the Pharisees in the eye and tell them the truth. He was willing to look... Herod in the face and call him the sinner that he was. This was a fearless man proclaiming a message from God, preparing the way for me. You didn't go to see some sniveling little guy shaking in the wind. You didn't go to see some highfalutin society person. You went to see a man of God who was on fire and burning with the passion of the message. And I want to tell you something. There, is, there has been no one born among women who is greater than John the Baptist. He stands on the pinnacle of all of the Old Testament history. He stands on the shoulders of all the prophets. He stands out as the best and the finest and the, and the one who prepared the way for Messiah. I want you to see who John is. I don't want you to be disturbed by this low moment in his life and focus on his doubt. I want you to see the picture of this man's life for what it is. Tuesday morning when we were at District Conference, um, Joel Wiggins, who is the new uh, president of Crown College, brought a message on biblical leadership. And he said, I want to I bring a message to you 
about leadership. He's speaking largely to pastors and church leaders. And he says, I, I want to I hold forth some principles that make people great leaders. And I want to pick, for the focus of my subject, I want to pick David. Because King David stands out in the Scripture as one of the greatest leaders in the Old Testament. Attested to in both Old and New Testaments, held up by Jesus himself. I want to talk to you about David, a polygamist, a lousy father, an adulterer, a conspirator, and a murderer who happened to be a man after God's own heart. It had the impact on us that it just did on you. It's like, what? We don't put those things together with great leadership. But in the course of unpacking the message of David's life, and by the way, he was not in any way condoning David's sin, nor am I. But in the course of unpacking that, he quoted God's assessment, where God says, David is a man after my own heart, because he does everything I ask him to do. Isn't that amazing? Now, he did some things God didn't ask him to do. That was part of the problem. But how would you like to be said of you, you're a person after my own heart, because you, you do everything I ask you to do. Every time I give you direction, every time I give you guidance, every time I ask you to do something, you do it. You do everything I ask you to. Without apologizing or minimizing or covering David's sin, he is still held forth as one of the great leaders of Scripture who is a man after God's own heart. Because the broad strokes of David's life, even in his failure, followed by his humility and his repentance and his brokenness and his genuine sorrow for grieving the heart of God. You know, you listen to his prayer in Psalm 51, and he says, Against thee, O Lord, and thee alone have I sinned and done this great evil in your sight. God, I have hurt you, and I am so deeply sorry. Here is a man who knew how to repent well. And he is held forth. John the Baptist is not to be viewed by this weak moment of his life. He is to be viewed by the broad strokes of his whole life. And you and I need to learn this lesson. Which of us can stand and say, I have no sin. I am in a position of being able to pass judgment on all of you. Who can say that? Who can say, I've never had a moment of doubt my entire life. I've, I've never had a moment of weakness. I've never surprised by myself by something stupid I did. 
I have always lived up to my expectations and, and followed perfectly after God in every respect. Yeah, Jesus. The scripture says, if you see a brother in sin, let those of you who are spiritual restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, looking to yourself, lest you too be tempted. It is not God's nature to kick us when we're down, but to come to us in compassion and restoration. We need to learn that lesson. Be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has forgiven you. Restore one another in a spirit of gentleness. Bear one another's burdens and fulfill the law of Christ. Look out for each other. Be kind to one another. Treat each other with gentleness. Friends, this needs to be a place of comfort and healing, this, this fellowship that we have. It needs to be a place of encouragement. We're going to hit the wall occasionally. We're going to have those low moments. And we need to be a community that comes alongside. And when we view each other's lives, we need to view the broad strokes. Now, some people have broad strokes that are in trouble. Then, then you've got a different sort of an issue. But, but we need to view the broad strokes. And that's exactly what Jesus was doing with John. As he turned to the crowd, he says, let me tell you about John. Don't get tripped up on what you just heard. Look at this man's life. He is everything he claimed to be. And he is everything I ask him to be. And in this weak moment, we need to recognize his true greatness. We're not defined by the exceptions. The marvelous benefits of the kingdom of God and our privilege. As Jesus begins to end this, you know, there's two clauses in that verse. I tell you this, among those born among women, no one is greater than John the Baptist. But he that is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. Think about that. Did you know that in the Old Testament, no one could be born again? They could not have the Holy Spirit reside inside of them and be brought to life in the Spirit the way we can. Because the blood of bulls and goats could not take away sin. Even though they looked to God and they offered in obedience the sacrifices, they anticipated the day when Jesus would cover their sin. We are among those who now live in a, in a time, in a new covenant era, where we can be born again. Where the Holy Spirit can indwell us. Where God can come and live in us and commune with us where we can walk with Him in an intimacy that they could never know. And the Scripture says they longed to look into that reality. And they waited for it. And they yearned for the day. And we live in the day.
We're in this moment as sons and daughters of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We are royal family. We're born again to a living hope. No matter how close they were, no matter how much they enjoyed, they had the Holy Spirit with them and they had the Holy Spirit upon them, but they never experienced the Holy Spirit in them. Even witness David in Psalm 51 as he prays, Lord, take not your spirit from me. But we have the Holy Spirit in us. He has been with you, but he will be in you. And you will be born again. Jesus is our elder brother. We walk with him as joint heirs of the kingdom. It's amazing. And Jesus says to us, John the Baptist was the greatest of all the old covenant prophets. He stood head and shoulders above all the rest. But I want to tell you something. He pointed to the way. I am the way. He pointed to the kingdom. I have brought the kingdom. He pointed to me. And now you have me. The least in my kingdom is greater than that. Isn't that an amazing thing? So let me ask you this morning, as you think about this message, where are you today? Are you in a period of doubt, a low moment? Are you wondering where God is? Do you need Him to come to you? The last thing you may want to do is open your Bible and read it. But I want to challenge you. Ask God to speak to your heart and just open the Word and start reading until He does. He is faithful. He'll meet you. Are you surprised by your own failure or has someone disappointed you look at the big picture and let the Holy Spirit take the rough edges off be gentle and accepting see the whole story do you realize this morning who you are in Jesus Christ. Think of those Old Testament greats and realize this morning that it doesn't matter how insignificant you feel, how small you feel, how unimportant you may think you are, you are greater than all the history of the Old Testament saints because you're a son or a daughter of the King of Kings. Father, I pray this morning that you would speak your word to our hearts, that you would draw us into your presence, that you would encourage us, that you would fill us with grace and compassion one for another, and that you would meet our doubts and come to us in our low moments and lift us up on wings of eagles that we can run and not be weary and walk and not faint. Those who wait upon you. 
We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.